Welcome to the Midnight Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Ethan Bennett, alongside my fellow co-host, Tyler Sinden. We are both entrepreneurs who are learning, growing, and building our own businesses. Our goal is to share experience and knowledge to help you grow and become a successful entrepreneur. Strap in. Before we get started, if you have any questions or things you'd like us to cover, you can email us at themidnightentrepreneur at gmail.com. And if you want us to start a business discord where you can talk about your wins, business problems, or general questions, shoot a message and maybe we'll think about it and we can add you. <laughs> Tyler, how is it going? It's going pretty good. Easton, how are you doing? Not so bad. Uh, finally back in the original location that, well, not original. I've been in like 15 different locations for this podcast, but... Audio first. That's all that matters, right? Audio first. Exactly. I thought you, when you said it, I didn't say it and you didn't really say it, but once you said what you said there, it made me think of it. And I'm like, man, I should have said, I can't complain. I can't complain. Exactly. People are just yeah. making excuses for things they can complain about. Uh, filming here exactly. on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, maybe we'll just start with that, Tyler. Who do you got? 49ers or Chiefs? 49ers. 49ers. Um, yeah, I hope the 49ers. Don't win only for the reason that I got forced into a $50 bet on the Chiefs. But honestly, if I was a bet man and I had to bet my house on it, I'd go 49ers. You just got to fade the public, man. All the Tom, Dick, and Harrys, as Dave Portnoy would say, are betting on the Chiefs. And that's never a good sign. <laughs> Is that what they're doing? I just think 49ers got a full full team, like everyone. They don't have really a weakness. so, And I just would really like to see them win it. Yeah, just hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes, man. And the 49ers D has been a little bit weak the past couple weeks. Um, I think they snuck by. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully I win $50. If not, at least I'm happy the 49ers won. Everyone says you can't bet against the champ until you beat the champ. So, I it's mean, that's why everyone's saying Chiefs. It's very true. Always fade the public, though. That's the one thing I've learned in sports betting. So, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, Tyler, what is new? What's going on in Arizona? How are things? So it's kind of ironic that we were talking about this last week where we were just saying we fire off emails and stuff to our clients whenever we feel like it. The following, I believe we would have, yeah, we would have filmed it Sunday night. Uh, Monday morning, I receive a email from my client saying, please don't send me emails on Sunday as I'm a Christian and I want to practice that. So even if we don't, even if it's urgent, don't don't send it to me. So it was just kind of ironic that we were talking about it. And we're like, yeah, we just fired off whenever we want. And now Sunday's a no-go for my one client. That is very interesting. I've been <laughs> in business for five years now. Um, I'm not saying I send a ton of Sunday emails, but I'm sure I've sent a few. And I've never once got that response. And you have been on a much shorter tenure and you got it right away. So very interesting. So take that with a grain of salt, guys. If you listened to our email that's, or our podcast last week. <laughs> that's also a good framing, though, because like if you just let it go on and on, it's just always going to happen. And if you don't say it, it's just going to keep happening and happening. So it could be just framing. Other people could just be like, can just ignore it and just let it happen. So, I mean, I think that's the good thing to do at the start of a relationship is to frame it and say what you do, what you don't like. For sure. And no knocks on your clients. I mean, if that's something you want to practice, we're not against that. Uh, it's good to get that out into the world at the beginning, like Tyler said. I do think, though, if you get to that multi-million, billion-dollar level, like let's say Gary Vaynerchuk or Alex Ramosi or Jeff Bezos, whatever, I'd think even if they're heavy Christians, they're still taking texts and calls and emails on Sundays. But I could be wrong. I I'll give you a, a great example. They're a fast food chain. Uh, Chick-fil-A, yeah. But they're not yeah. open. Do you think the uh, do you think the I founder of Chick-fil-A is working? They like they're New York, I believe, is trying to put in laws to make them be open on Sundays. And they're like, "Nope, it's against our views." I don't yeah. think they they they're based around their view viewpoints and they're sticking strong with it. So, I highly doubt that they actually do any work on Sundays. That's Sundays true. Is for God. That'd be interesting. I'd like to maybe if I could ask one question to the founder of Chick Fil A. I'd just say, do you work on Sundays like ever? Like, if, <laughs> have you ever called or texted or emailed anybody? We're just wondering. Me and my buddy got a podcast. We're curious what your thoughts are. That's all we care about. Yeah, exactly. Not how you built a multi-billion-dollar company or anything? Ah, everyone knows how to, how to do that. Easy peasy. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Other than that, Tyler, we I'm glad we learned that lesson. Uh, what else you got for yeah. us? 
Yeah, the other thing is I wrapped it up yesterday, but these editing these YouTube videos, they, they take a long time. It's like, and it's, it's funny because I got the two types of content or videos that I create. The one that takes me about 10 minutes to make typically performs better, which is unfortunate compared to the other one that takes maybe anywhere from 20 to 40 hours to film and edit and create the thumbnail and do all that fun stuff. They sometimes don't perform as well, which is kind of upsetting, but yeah, they, they, they do take uh, quite a while time. Yeah. It's, that's what I've been saying, man. You're always hounding me about YouTube, which is good, but that's the biggest knock for me is why I don't do it. It's because one video editing, it might take an hour to film and then it takes five hours to edit. And I'm like, damn, that's six hours. It's a lot of time, but I, I hear you. Maybe you got to budget it. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> foreshadowing into the today's episode. If you guys read the title, we're going to be talking about some budgeting of time. Um, but yeah, YouTube, you, it, you really got to be committed. hiring someone for editing. I've, I've thought about it so many times, but at the same time, I want to be like, I'm a small channel. I want to show that you can do it. So it's like, there's a yeah. part of me that wants to just pay a couple hundred dollars for someone to edit it. It might be better than what I, what I make, but then it's like, then I get that time back. So I, I've thought about that. Have you thought about that? Yeah. I think if I could find an editor that I could pay 500 to a thousand dollars a month, um, uh-huh. just to do a, a YouTube video a week, something like that, I would definitely do it. I think it helps a ton. Just even that I've realized this, um, the short form editor that I have now that's creating my short form content. It's like, man, it might cost you a little bit of money, but it is so worth it to get that thing off of your plate. I've pushed another client over to him, a new client I signed on. It's like, I'm making less money, but man, it is, uh, it is helping a ton, not having to spend 10 to 12 hours every single month on this. Frees up a lot of your time. Yep. Another foreshadowing <laughs> from Tyler. There. Um, <laughs> That's all I'm going to do. <laughs> exactly. Um, anything else you got for us, Tyler? Uh, yeah. Last thing that I have, I did it this morning. And this is one of the things that I like to do in our mastermind group that I made it one of my tasks, weekly tasks to do. And that's watch at least one video from the Google ads course that I'm currently in. And it's actually so beneficial when I actually do, (laughs) do participate in that and actually watch some of the videos. And I know you're a part of the VBA and I'm sure you got more value, the more time that you put into it. So yeah, the more videos that I watch and learn from them, it's just extremely great to actually learn from quote unquote professionals. Yeah, it's it's really nice when you get in the course and you can dive 100% full in and uh, learn everything that they have to share. Uh, you mentioned the VBA. It's funny. Uh, one of my updates is actually that I've officially been removed from the VBA course and the group chats and my personal chat and everything. Um, I was going to say kicked out, but then people would assume I got got the boot. Mm-hmm. But really, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a year since I joined it and that was what my contract was. They asked if I wanted to sign on for another year um, and I politely declined. But yeah, it was it was good to to dive in there and actually learn the information. And that sounds like uh, sounds like that's what you're doing with the Google ads course. How would you say your experience was with that? How beneficial would you say it became for your business and your growth? I think it was, it was fairly beneficial. Uh, it was $24,000 over the course of the year. And I think I made that back. Uh, I would have liked to make more obviously, but I didn't a hundred percent go all in on what they were teaching, but a lot of the stuff, definitely helped for sure. I just think that they wanted to charge the same price moving forward for the next year. And what I was telling Tyler before we started recording is that what information am I getting for this next year? Because you've already taught me all the information. You can't take the information away from me. So I maybe would have stayed on for some of the live calls and the one-on-one support that I could have got, uh, but not for the same exact price that I paid, not for another 24 grand. Because I just think that investment, that 24,000, now that I've learned this, I can implement that into different areas of the business. Say it's an editor, say it's a different course, whatever it might be. Um, So that's ultimately how I landed on my decision. Maybe that's a piece of advice that you could send to him and be like, Hey man, like if you cut the price in half, maybe you'd retain more people or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. And I just want to make sure I give enough wiggle room for them to not be like, Oh, we'll, we'll cut it in half. Do you want to join? And I'm like, well, no, I don't, but it would be, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be good if you did it for other people. Um, Cause yeah. yeah, right now it's just like 24 grand. And you look at that. It's like, 
that's half of a person's salary if I wanted to hire like a full time editor, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's you def- you definitely do get what you definitely do get out of what you put in because I've noticed that with Arte, the more time and effort that I put into it, the more I'll get out of it. So it's very similar to you and VBA. The more time and effort that you put into it, the more that you're going to get out of it. And that's, that goes with anything. Yeah. And there was one frustrating aspect of it just on my own end, not on their end, is that they had the VBA where you learn all the strategies and everything. And then they had the VAE, which is actually teaching you how to get to a million dollars a year. And some of the modules and courses in that I actually never got to. I just got so busy that I didn't watch them stuff like building your dream team and teaching you uh, other stuff. So I didn't actually get to those and I had it on my list, get through those before you get the boot from the actual program. And I never did. So that kind of sucks, but I still think I got my uh, money's worth with the other information I got. Yeah. And that information also stays with you for your whole life. And even though you made it back, maybe you broke even this year, it could be exponential in the future. Yeah, for sure. So that's why I'm not upset about it. You know, in the long haul, it's going to make me back my money for sure. Uh, Another update here is decided I got to put my foot down on taking shortcuts on shoots. And by shortcuts, I mean just taking the shoots that maybe you don't put as much planning into. You you skip some of the steps on the process that the client goes through just to get the project done. Uh, They're proving to be more and more difficult when I do that and it's more frustrating having to deal with the edits and the shoots. I just had a shoot last week that has been in the making for a while and we finally got a date down and then we went there and there was some information we didn't have about the shoot, some stuff that was not even available to shoot. Uh, so we kind of had to throw together a makeshift plan on set on the site. So it's a little bit frustrating and I think there are times when I take jobs that are maybe cheaper than I would generally charge for them because I'm like, oh, this will be super easy. I'll just knock it out. Uh, And then it ends up being just as much work. So sticking to that minimum price saying, hey, uh, I don't, it's almost having the mindset that I don't need this client. This client's not life or death. If they say, no, we don't want to do this. That's totally okay. Uh, Just give your prices and not necessarily try to transform your proposals and budgets just to appease a lower budget from a client. That's a lot of talking. So what what comes up that this happens? Is it they don't have the budget and you're like, okay, sure. Or like, it's just a quick turnaround. Like, sure, I got a few days open here. I'll do it for you. How how do these come up? Yeah, sometimes it's hard for me. There's a few different things. Sometimes it's hard for me to just say, no, I don't want to do this. Like I just shot a project last week. And granted, this is actually the ones that was super quick shoot, super quick edit. I sent it out and I got a check. So th- when it works out, it's awesome, right? It was it was 650 bucks uh, and I was super happy with that, right? It took me like, I think an hour to shoot it, maybe an hour and a half. Uh, and then editing was probably another hour and a half. So if you look at it, three hours for 650 bucks, you're not going to complain about it. But sometimes you do shoots like that where you're like, okay, they got 650 bucks. They're okay with that. Uh, and then you do it and they want so many meetings back and forth. They want different shoots. They want a ton of revisions, uh, and it just turns into a nightmare. So that's where I'm trying to get away from. So one is the budget. It happens a lot of times. And then the second part, totally forgot what I was going to say because I got so focused on the budget. Um, What was the original question, Tyler? How do these projects come up? What are the yeah. factors? Oh, yes. This up? is yes. This is the other part I was going to talk about is that sometimes I see it and this can get into retainer deals most of the time. Let's say I see it as revenue, right? If I sign someone on for a 12 month retainer and I say, I'll do it for a thousand bucks a month, right? They don't have a ton of month to spend a thousand bucks, but I'm like, it adds another 12 grand to my yearly revenue, right? But is that 12 grand really worth the extra amount of work you're doing just for an extra thousand bucks a month? Uh, you know, maybe someone's got, you know, 500 bucks a month. It's, oh, it's another six grand. If I sign these two, that's 18 grand a year, you know? Um, and I look at the end revenue, but then I don't realize, okay, it's not feasible to be producing what I'm producing for 500 bucks a month or a thousand bucks a month. It's just, I'm putting in way too much time for this with pre-production, production, post-production, uh, and that's not allowing me to scale. So it's easier to just throw away that 18 grand and say, yeah, it sucks to lose that revenue, but the added time, maybe you can get two jobs or three jobs that add up to that extra 18 grand that you're looking at. Yeah. Hermosi talks a lot about this stuff where you got to say no to these shiny objects that come up and he references, uses the reference of 
the woman in the red dress from the matrix when neil walks by him and then or her and then he turns and looks and then he turns around and then agent smith is right in front of him and boom kills him or whatever it is and it's just learning to say no to those opportunities and he says the longer you're in business the bigger and better those shiny objects look and the harder it is to say no yeah and i totally agree you know those smaller projects tend to be more difficult communication wise. I think I sent you an Instagram reel where uh, Alex Ramosi was talking about it's easier to sell higher ticket items. Whereas you send $50,000 project, they're okay with it. They say awesome. The check's in the mail. And these lower end clients that you're dealing with might say, you know, well, what am I getting for this price? Well, you know, what is it going to be? You know, here are all the revisions I want where that process becomes a lot more long and it's drug out compared to the high ticket items. So it might look awesome to go for that shiny object, but just the added stress and communication, uh, it also allows you to fall behind on maybe some of the bigger projects you're working on because this smaller client is like, oh, I want my stuff. Oh, I need my stuff. Uh, where in your mind, you're thinking, you know what? Yours is not as important because it's not worth that much to me. Uh, but obviously the client doesn't know that and they don't want to hear that they're not worth that much. So that's the, the dilemma that you get put in. Yeah, that could be tough. But you got anything else you want to update us on? Yeah, one more thing as far as that goes with these shoots and not taking more shortcuts. Me and Matt have finalized the terms of what we're going to be doing for 2024. So super excited to be working with him on projects this year. And that also allows me to these smaller shoots that come up. I can lean on him to be a producer and say, hey, I'm going to send it over to Matt who helps with producing these projects. And then it takes it off of my plate to have to say yes or no to these small deals because uh, I can just have Matt put together a normal deal. We're not taking any discounts, any shortcuts. Uh, and then we send it over to them. So adding that extra layer of involvement in the company helps the projects get a little bit higher. Nice. Maybe we'll be able to soon cover that topic that I wasn't able to ask questions. On. <laughs> Don't bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I think it's also good that you're getting the other employees in your business as well. Maybe making it quote unquote more official. And then yeah. also you branching away and having more of a team where you're freeing up more of your time. Yeah. I think it helps a ton to be able to, even on documents you're sending over, if you say, Hey, we're going to be on the shoot. Uh, you're going to get me, you're going to get Josh, you're going to get Matt, you're going to get another Matt, you're going to get Alex, all of these different people that are a part of it. Uh, then people look and say, okay, this is a full fledged thing. It's not like Easton's just showing up. He's not putting that much work in. So it does add some credibility as far as, uh, the whole process goes. But I feel like a lot of your shoots, you have paid actors and you have the light guy, you have the cable guy, you have a BTS person. Yeah. And I think, that, yeah, What's it adds. Difference? <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. I thought you already have that stuff, though. <laughs> yeah, but not on some of the smaller shoots. So, so sometimes be there every time. I'm going to start but doing that because the smaller shoots where I, I just like go and show up. I feel like you wouldn't do the smaller shoots then because now you got to pay more people yeah, and you're also got to be saying no. So you got to start going for the higher end that, tickets. That's the goal. Not do know. them. <laughs> okay. But you're saying that you're going to look better on paper because you have these people that are showing up, but you already have those people showing up is what I'm saying. Yeah, but I'm adding more. I mean, sometimes there are people here and there. Maybe it was one other person, whereas now it's five to six people. So just adding the number of people that are actually involved. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, bringing one light guy is different than having a production manager and a director and an audio guy and a lighting guy and a production assistant. Is it not? But I, I, I agree with you, but I don't think you're going to be doing those projects where you would have only had one light guy is what I'm saying. Yeah. Not anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's how what I'm saying. They, they would have never seen this stuff anyways. Yeah, I think we're talking about the same thing in different ways. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> potato, that, potato. Yeah. Uh, let's get into this week's topic. Tyler hinted at a couple times there in the opening, but we're going to be talking about changing your mindset on time and really budgeting your time, allocating your time, and just time in general. Uh, one quote Tyler shared before we actually started recording is that recording recording is that you overestimate what you can do in the short term. So let's say a year or less and you underestimate what you can actually do in the long term. So five, 10, 15 years down the road, Tyler, what are your thoughts on this? 
<laughs> my mind's not here right now. It, <laughs> Stop looking around the I, room, damn it. <laughs> no, it, it's not that. It's uh, I received a comment that I got to stop yawning and I keep yawning and I'm trying not to. And I feel like it's, you ever, you know, the thing where it's like the energy and like whenever you're in a room together with someone and then it's like their energy, if they have high energy, you're going to have higher energy and it's, it projects it onto you. I think you being so comfortable on the couch right now, me looking at you, it's like making me tired because like <laughs> you look, you're just looking so comfortable over there. And I'm just like, man. So I'm just like, so what Tyler wants is there. me to be uncomfortable. He's like, go sit <laughs> on a stool. Yeah. We'll get, get, get like all professionally looking, yeah. but yeah, we'll go get so a tie on. One, <laughs> bring the energy. So yeah. with this, I believe that we overestimate what we can do in the short term and on, underestimate what we can do in the long term and i don't like myself included a lot of people don't really plan for like five ten years what they want to do if you really put together like a good plan which i i've failed to do of what you want to achieve or do in five to ten years it's crazy what you could do and then like in maybe say a month or say six months or one year someone will say i want to go from point a to point b and it's like okay, that's a lot more unrealistic compared to say if you're doing that over a 10-year span and people just fail to do that on a larger scale. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just like people just struggle. I'm trying to think for myself. It's just, I think it's just hard to quantify and um, have that ability to, like I, I have the ability to look at it. It's just, actually, I think I actually take it. I think it, this is, I don't know. I'm just coming to this realization, but I think it's a fear. It's a fear that uh, you don't know what to do. You don't know what the steps are. And it's like, I want to build, say, this massive grocery store. I want to build the next Walmart or whatever. How do you go from point A to point B? That's really hard to look at it that way where you got to break it down into really small steps. It's like, okay, what's the first step we got to do? Okay, first step is probably we're going to have to set up a small local grocery chain and whatever, or maybe retail store, yeah. whatever it might be. So it's just trying to break it down into a really small. And like, I think that's what it is. It's just like, sure, you can have this really massive dream, but it, there's like a fear there and a disconnect where you don't don't see the steps to get there. And it's really tough to get there. So maybe that's what it is. I don't know. What do you think? That's what I was going to ask you while you were talking. I got to thinking I'm really bad at that as well. Looking 10 years down the road, I have this dream of where I would want my company to be and what it looks like. You know, I want to have a big studio. I want to have employees, but actually implementing that, how do we get there? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think the steps are, and maybe we should do an episode on this. We're kind of workshopping it as we speak, but you should come up with six month, 12 month, 18 month goals of the actual steps that you need to take. I'm sure that's what big companies do. If you were to go work with a new startup, they know, Hey, in 18 months, we have to get to here. Uh, Cause that's going to get us one step closer to our 10 year goal. Whereas if I was looking at myself in the business, maybe I say, Hey, by July, I need to hire a full-time editor. Once I have a full-time editor that will allow me to do step B, whatever step B is and getting to the time when I have a studio and a full team, but me and maybe you and the rest of the people listening might think, yeah, here's my end goal. This is my dream goal, but we don't put any thought into it after that of how do we actually get to that goal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about this, honestly, when I was on the run the other day about a playing company, I, I don't know why. I think maybe I was thinking about Richard Branson and how he started his Virgin Airlines or whatever it's called. And you don't say, I want to have the biggest airline, commercial airline uh, business in the world. You start small. You, you can have that, say, 15, 20 year goal of that, but you don't start out buying 500 different airlines or air, airplanes. Yeah. You start out with that first step. Okay. What do we got to do? Okay. Let's set up a bank account. Okay. Let's set up a payment processor. Okay. Let's try and connect with some people. Let's try, like you try and take those, you got to break it down into really granular steps. And like you were saying with hiring that editor, it's like, okay, I got to hire an editor by July. What do I got to do before that? Okay. I got to prepare all this, all these documents, these onboarding documents, all these 
things to help him get acclimated to BCM. And then you're going to be able to prepare and then maybe you're like, okay, I want to have a bank of X amount of dollars. So I'm able to fund him for say six months a year if shit hits the fan and we don't end up making any revenue. So and your steps are a little plan. As far as you say that the steps are always there. Like you said, if you, if I say I want to have, you know, $50,000 to cover his revenue for whatever amount of time, right? That step, if you look at it, okay, well, how do I get $50,000? Okay, you need to sell more projects. So then that's your next step. You need to sell more. Uh, if you're like, okay, well, how do I sell more? Now you need to implement a process. What's your sales process like? Or maybe you bring on a salesperson. So the steps are always right in front of you. I think it's, you just have to reverse engineer them and actually think about it, actually sit down and come up with a plan. And sometimes I hate when people just want to plan things and make sure everything's perfect and in order before they get started. But at a certain point, you do have to have somewhat of a plan. Otherwise, you just go day after day doing the same tasks, and then you never get to that goal. This is turning a little bit into a goal podcast, um, but <laughs> but it, it does tie back yeah, to don't time. Think we're talking about time right now. <laughs> it does tie back to time on you. You don't understand what you can actually accomplish in the long term. Because if you get to, you know, yeah, five, like, 10 years, <laughs> then you're like, yeah, God. Sure. Well, one of the things that I've always been thinking about recently is budgeting my time and thinking of it more so as a currency and how I'm going to allocate X amount of time to here, X amount of time. Like what, what time do I have and where am I going to allocate it? So I've been thinking a lot about time in a budget scale. So it's like, okay, for Ironman training, I'm allocating and I'm budgeting two hours per day, whatever it is. I got two hour bike ride here. Where is that going to fit into my schedule on the day? And then it's trying to move everything around or not really move everything around. Where am I going to play Tetris and put this two hour block in? Because I, I'm not a calendar guru like yourself and Should be. already have everything laid out. I, I just look at my meetings and whatever my meetings are, it's like, okay, I got a three hour window here. That'll give me enough time to go out for my bike ride, come back, eat, shower, and then I'll be good for the, my next meeting. Yeah. And as far as Tyler going into budgeting your time, that goes into, you don't really know what you can accomplish in the short term, the one year. So I going on Tyler's example, I personally, my example would be working on client projects or working on the business. I don't know how much time things actually take. I think I do. Uh, but it's, that's the difference between Tyler and I, Tyler knows, Hey, I need two hours a day to do Ironman. Whereas me, I might take on a project and say, Hey, I can edit it this week. And then I realize, okay, I actually don't have time for it this week. So Tyler, how do you go about actually deciding where to allocate your time, where to, where to put that time? Do you just go on priorities or what is it? Yeah, non-negotiables. I have to do two workouts a day uh, for Ironman training. So I'll look at my day, look at my... Basically, what the way I look at it is when do I have my meetings? Because those are the times where I actually have to be at my desk and I actually have to be working. And then I'll work backwards from there. So it's like, okay, I got from 11 till 2, I can't do anything. So I got, I can, I got like a hour workout. So I'm going to do that in the morning and I'm going to do that around nine o'clock because I have to be ready by 11. So from nine to 10 is the run. And then I got from 10 to 11 to be able to eat, get ready, shower, do whatever I got to do 11 till one or two, whatever time I was saying. Then after that, I got free range on when I, when I have to do my last stuff. And then typically I like to stay fairly consistent with my diet and eating. So it's like, okay, five o'clock noon and seven o'clock is like breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then snacks intermittently throughout the day. So it's like, I try to plan around that as well. So it's like two o'clock, I got a two hour bike ride, so it should line up pretty perfectly. So I'll get out around two 30. I'll get back by four 30 dinner, five o'clock. And then I got the rest of the day to finish off whatever I got left. So it's just like, the non-negotiables it's like okay i gotta squeeze these in somewhere and where am i gonna squeeze those in and where where does my scap my calendar or time currently fit and one thing tyler and i have experienced is that you may have a list of all your tasks the priorities that you actually have to accomplish and even if you don't write down like hey this is the top task this is the top thing i need to get done you know in the back of your head like tyler said his meetings they're 
the most important thing. He can't miss them. Second on his list is Iron Man stuff. And you have that mental note of your list of priorities. And that's actually what fills up your day. So when you're deciding, you know, where do I put these tasks? What's most important? We have a little chart pulled up here. You need to go by there's four quadrants here, urgent, not urgent, important, and not important. And the most important tasks are the ones that are urgent and they're important. So maybe Tyler's meeting is urgent. He has to meet with a client and it's important that he meets with the client. That would be number one. Uh, next, you would have to go with urgent. What would you say is next? Tyler? Is that urgent, and not important? Or would you say important, but not urgent? It's got to go down, right? No, I think it goes across. So it's important. Uh, well, I think it's tough to, you got to put the, everything in each one. Yeah. Um, and then you scale it from there. Uh, so obviously important and urgent goes first. And then urgent and not important. So I, I can't really think of a task that would be something like that. Um, that What's not important? Maybe that's clean the dishes. I think that would be something that's. Yeah, Not important but urgent, um, and I I think I think urgent goes first. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know. Now, <laughs> now that I'm looking at it, I think you could go either way. Um, but really, you need to it figure does. out like what are those important tasks that you're doing, and it all stems from importance. Especially if I'm doing client work, I'm like, hey, this deadline is tomorrow. This is the number one priority I'm doing. There might be another project that's due next week, and I'll get to that when I can. But you have to label it by level of urgency and then I think importance after that. Because if you're if you're to rank the two, you have to hit those deadlines. Whether you're doing client work, you're doing business work, whether you're doing Ironman work, it all stems on the level of importance when you are scheduling it into that calendar and budgeting your time. Yeah, be, because you could have something that's extremely important, but it's not urgent. It's due in, say, six months. So it's yeah. like do I want to get that done right now or should I get something that's done that's important that's wait it not important that's urgent so I think that's the way it should go yeah like right now for example if we were to do an example I think what's important for me right now is I need to build a new website and get my website set up but it's not terribly urgent I have a deadline for tomorrow morning that footage needs to be in a client's inbox that is urgent so one goes before the other, even though they're both super important to do, you can look at it on that scale. One other thing I like to tell myself when I am looking at tasks and if they need to get done now or next week or six months from now is a four, a four step process that you need to go through is the first thing you, you look at a task and ask yourself, can I eliminate this? Do I actually have to do this task? Uh, if you actually don't, if you can't eliminate it, then you'll move on to automating it. Is this a task I can automate? Maybe it's something you have follow-up emails after shoots. Okay. I can't eliminate this because I really need to do this with my clients. I need to update them on what the project and where the project is at after we shoot it. Uh, but I don't want to take the time every single time to do this. So you automate it. You put it in the back end to send an email once you're done with the shoot. Uh, if you can't automate it, it's something that maybe it has to be personalized. Maybe you should delegate it. Do you have an employee or someone that can do this for you? Uh, do you have someone else that can manage the communication aspect? Uh, then that takes the time off your plate. And at the very end, if you can't delegate it, if you have no one to push it off to, maybe it's a meeting uh, or a shoot, that is when you actually do the task. So that's another thing I like to keep in my mind if you're trying to buy some of that time back so you can allocate it into different places is eliminate. If you can't eliminate, automate. If you can't automate, delegate. And if you can't delegate, that's when you do the task. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I I just want to joke about it. I know we're both in the same boat. I, I, I will agree with it. And then like, when I was texting you, it it's more like a canoe it, with a hole in it. <laughs> <laughs> We're both spit or paddling the wrong directions. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It seemed like maybe I, I don't know. We, we, we both created jobs for ourselves in a sense. So um, I, I wrote this down for a future topic, but um, because how much delegating would you say you do? Because it seems like there's a lot of stuff that you could delegate. I know you're working on the editor thing, but, and once you get that editor, you're going to be able to delegate a lot to that editor. Um, but you saying this, um, 
How much do you delegate? Right now, not a ton. But we had this conversation when you texted and said we've created jobs for ourselves. I personally think that most businesses, Tyler had the argument that not all businesses, which I'll give him that point. Most businesses start as you creating a job for yourself because you're doing a majority of the work. But when you do get to a point when you have people on your team, like an editor where I can delegate editing tasks. And now that I'm partnering with Matt, I can delegate all most of the sales and the client communications and the pre-production process to him. Uh, A lot more of it is allowing me to delegate. But with that being said, in the beginning, it's really hard to delegate because who are you going to give it to? Who am I going to give my editing task to because I'm the one editing? Who am I going to give the production stuff to because I'm the one producing it? So at the very beginning, there is not much delegation at all, but I think I'm finally getting to that point where the delegation process is happening. What do you plan on doing with your time once you do delegate? Uh, probably Netflix. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, time in Vegas. Yeah. Work on the business. I think personal branding. I really want to do a lot more of that, like social media clips, uh, the YouTube stuff, uh, coming up with business strategies like lead magnets and landing pages and running ads, stuff that actually helps the business grow rather than just working on client work. So I think that's going to free up a lot of time. Um, yeah. But yeah, we got to get to that point first. I think we're still a few months out. Uh, but officially getting there, we're getting there, we're moving that needle. Yeah. So it's wor- it's switching from working in, in your business to on your business. Yes, on, on the business. <laughs> on your business. <laughs> yes. On the bird's nest. <laughs> yeah. So work on the bird's nest. That's going to be our new saying. <laughs> yeah. I like it. A couple bird's nest updates uh, this week. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like it. Yeah. But hopefully uh, that'll come soon. That's what I'm hoping for. It's already it's already happening a little bit. Having Matt take over a lot of the pre-production aspects, which is helping a lot of time uh, in not having to do the pre-production. But again, it comes down to that time. Without having to do pre-production, what are you allocating your time towards? Uh, and you need to figure that out. And ideally, it's not not urgent and not important tasks like busy work and just messing around and you're actually getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Man, I've been thinking about just hiring someone be like i've thought about it where it's like let's go to a high school and try and find some cheap labor there (laughs) be like who wants to start learning about business and learn about marketing and i'll pay you a couple hundred dollars a month and you can do all this shit for me and i'm gonna do nothing (laughs) yeah and i'm gonna work on getting new clients but i've thought about that to be honest it's like i've because like like i've been saying like we created jobs for ourselves and it's like um I'm like, how am I, how am I going to get away from that to being able to the point where I'm scaling it as opposed to I'm just working in the business. So I think as long as I'm, I don't know, maybe it all comes with help. I I think that's the next step to get to that point. You just need help. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah. Because I've thought about it where it's like, I have my, my nine to five that has income coming in. So it's like, what if I take like I have the money coming in. So, and then I also have the money coming in from the business. So it's like, if I ever need any extra money, just like put it towards that. And then it's like, okay, I need to fund this guy's salary. I got a couple extra thousand dollars coming in from my nine to five. Let's throw it there because I'm working on building that asset up. And like, that's more important than, uh, something that's going to be like, uh, an hourly wage. Yeah. It's def it definitely helps having help. It's funny you say that because, uh, my girlfriend, she works three days a week as a nurse, so she has a couple extra days, more hours, and she's like, maybe I should just work for you when my days are off. And I was like, I'd pay you to do oh, some yeah. stuff. And she's like, no, I'll just do it for free to help you build the business. Um, so I'm like, yeah, that would be that would be awesome. So just even having that help, if I could say, hey, I need you to prep this <laughs> footage, <laughs> right? Well, I'm like, even if she preps footage, just like gets it in the right folders and renames things and throws in the timeline, yeah. get stuff, all the busy work um, yeah. and stuff like that. So that might be a good asset to have. But the more I'm moving into this, the easier it is to learn that without help, you know, it's really hard to turn your job you've created for yourself into an actual business. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times you can get swallowed up in a lot of working in the business stuff. And then it doesn't give you any time to be able to work on the business. So it's like, I've created this massive job for myself and it's like, I can't get out of it. And I think the only way to get out of it is like what you, like you mentioned is delegating is like, you have to bite the bullet maybe for 
few months to a year, a couple years, you're not going to be able to pay yourself as much as you once did. And you're going to have to fund other people's salaries. And I, I don't know. I just, you got, I think you got to look at the bigger picture and it's like, is it worth the short term pain to have this massive business at the end of the time when it's worth millions, multi-million dollars? And yeah. It's like, close out with accounts. Yeah, for sure. In the beginning, you definitely have to, you know, bootstrap your salary and just make sacrifices. And you have to look at the long-term goals. The time you're putting in today, it's going to be much more beneficial down the road when maybe you have a $500,000, million-dollar business, $10 million-dollar business. That's when you can re reap some of the rewards. But yeah, in the beginning, you definitely have to, uh, you have to make those sacrifices. Bite the bullet. Bite the bullet. Um, all right, Tyler, overall thoughts. I kind of want to go over a couple of things. Uh, when you're allocating time, one thing I've tried to do is that set some time aside that's like directly for stuff that you actually want to do. Don't get caught up in the the busy work, the the client work. That's one thing recently where, you know, and I've talked about this before on previous episodes too, is that you do too much client work and then you can't work on the business. I know one thing Alex Ramosi does is he sets time aside in the morning. He doesn't take any meetings in the morning. He works on what he needs to work on. So maybe that's a strategy, but there are a ton of different strategies, strategies out there that you need to figure out what works best for you. Um, I, one thing I do is I try not to do any video shoots on Mondays. No one wants to shoot on Mondays, first of all. And a Monday is a great day to get all your admin work done, uh, send any emails you need to do, uh, work actually on the business rather than, okay, I wake up Monday morning, start of the week, and I immediately have to dive into client work and go on this shoot. So that's just one example of something uh, where I allocate my time that there's no shoots on Mondays. How do you like that? I really enjoy it. I try not to shoot on Fridays either, but Fridays is a little bit tougher because one, I don't care if I shoot on a Friday all that much, like that's fine. Um, end the day on a, on a shoot anyways, or end the week on a shoot. But yeah, I try to go Mondays and Fridays, no shoots, just so you can start the week and end the week working on the business, make sure everything's in order. Um, but I'm a little bit more flexible with Fridays, but Mondays it's pretty much unless it's last case, like worst case, like we can only shoot on a Monday. That's the only time I'll really allow it. And you don't have any time on Mondays to work on the business? No, I do. That's do the main just... That's the main time I do business work rather than client work. What are some of these tasks? Just working on, well, one, it's like client communication. So a lot of the client communication stuff, a lot of stuff we talk about in the mastermind when I say, hey, I want to, you know, write landing page scripts if I want to create this landing page in general or set up this sort of funnel, that's the stuff that I'm doing on a Monday or maybe, you know, uh, the personal branding stuff. If I'm writing scripts for, uh, the social media clips, uh, YouTube, I actually have wrote some YouTube scripts. I just haven't filmed them yet, but any of the stuff that I'm working on that isn't directly related to, Hey, I need to edit this video for the client or I need to do pre-production for this client. Um, a lot of proposals I'll do on Mondays where I'm setting up the actual proposals I'm sending to people. So some sales stuff. Yeah, I try to focus on, you know, not doing any actual shoots or editing on Mondays. Gotcha. What do yeah. you do, Tyler, to uh, make sure that your time is in order? Yeah, one of the things that I do is I wake up early and that's about four to five. And what I really like about that is when I, so it's a little bit different here. I feel like, so I'm on the East Coast usually, but right now I'm on mountain time. And I feel like being on mountain time, it's about the same time that it would be on East Coast. But what I started doing is just logging on to work and getting stuff done early. And then I just, there's no one there to distract you. And you're usually like the only one on. So it's just, you're able to grind out a lot of work. You don't have the distractions and it's just go, go, go. And so, and then at the same time, you don't feel obligated to reply to any of the messages that you might have or emails just because they're probably sleeping right now and you're able to like just get stuff done. So you don't feel obligated to respond to any like text, emails, messages, whatever it might be, because those people are most likely sleeping. So it just gives you a, or gives me a lot of time to be able to just get ahead on the day, get some work done of and especially it's like un uninterrupted work where it's just 
go, go, go. So that's one thing that I do really like that I do. It is a nice little buffer to be able to wake up and say, hey, I got two, three hours before I'm going to get any emails regarding this project or I'm going to get any texts or phone calls. It is nice to have that quiet time, you could call it, if we're in daycare again. Um, So yeah, the earlier you can wake up, the better. Uh, If you're someone like me, you can't wake up much earlier than six o'clock. But yeah, that's what I've been working. I've been waking up around six to seven, somewhere in there lately, which is, it's been super beneficial. I remember a year ago, two years ago, I would wake up in between eight and nine and I'm like, God, I just really, I I don't like being up this late. It's obviously not terribly late. Like some people start work at nine if you have a nine to five, but it just still feels too late. Like you're, you're behind the eight ball. So the earlier you can wake up, the better. Man, your boss needs to kick you in the ass. He did a year and a half ago, and now he started uh, waking up earlier. Getting there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, it's a good way to manage your time. Just figure out what strategy works for you. If it's blocking off your time, if you want to be a calendar freak like me, if you want to just make sure you have your non-negotiables like Tyler, whatever works, just budget that time properly to actually get you to those goals we were talking about in the beginning. What's that 10-year goal? You can accomplish a lot in 10 years if you actually look at it, uh, but you also have to be realistic that uh, you can't do as much as you think you can in a month as much as you think you can in a year. Uh, but when you look at it on the the long horizon, it is achievable. Yeah. I think that's one of my problems that I run into where I aim way too high short term and then not high enough or not at all long term. It's like, yeah, I, I think the mindset that I have is aim for the stars land on the moon. And that's what I do short term, but I need that long term game plan, I think to help guide me a little bit more, but I feel like this mastermind that we have currently, it helps me a lot. Remind me of the goals, remind me of what I got to be doing every week is, is pretty beneficial for me. Yeah. So maybe just flip the mindset. If you guys can start aiming high for your long term because it's much easier. If you set a goal of you want to have a million dollar business, make it 10 years. What is it going to take to get a million dollar business in 10 years? That's going to be much more worth it than, okay, in the next year, I need to get X, Y, Z, because it's going to be a lot harder to do it in a year. But if you're okay with that long time frame, uh, it's much easier to hit those goals. And I think you cut less corners, but at the same time, I think if you're, <laughs> if you're going for a million over 10 years, I think you should 10X that a little bit. Yeah, go for 10 million. But then again, that it might take you seven years to get a million and it might take you three to get from one to 10. So... Yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. Tyler, you got anything else? I, I feel like we bounced a lo- <laughs> around a lot. Do you yeah. think we, we kind of set out to what we wanted to achieve? No, I don't. But um, you know what? That's what <laughs> this tried. podcast is all about. Time and goals and budgets <laughs> and time and funness. So that's why you guys are here. You enjoy the chaoticness of where these episodes, where they go. <laughs> I feel like we're usually on track. But yeah, I feel like we might have been me just bouncing around all over the place but yeah that's all right we We tied a lot we tied her back in somehow and if you don't think so then kick rocks all right let's talk (laughs) yeah that too that's what i meant autocorrect uh let's talk about this week's business (laughs) idea my cat ran across my keyboard is that what people say um let's talk about this week's business idea had this idea actually when i was doing the dishes yesterday or a couple days ago it is the car wash dishwasher One thing I've never understood is when you put your dishes through into the dishwasher, turn it on, why does it take so long to clean those things? Why can't there be some sort of thing where maybe I'm washing it and to the left, I just drop in my plate into a little slot or put my bowl uh, and then it just goes through and it might take four or five minutes to go through and cycle like on a conveyor belt of some sort and then it's done. It's washed. Just like a car goes through the car wash, why can it not be relatively the same time frame for dishes do you want to get them done clean faster i would like them done faster i think the whole stick them in there wait and then i gotta go back in an hour and now i'm still doing the same task i started an hour ago it's slightly annoying okay so i would say working in a restaurant there are i guess you could call them professional grade dishwashers and I think when I left, it would take about a minute, 32 minutes to clean the dishes. So 
Yeah. I mean, you could try and get one that goes in a restaurant. And That's electric. That's like, whoosh. yeah. Give me some of that action, man. Yeah, those, it was it was crazy. So when I first got there, they had this really old dishwasher, and I think it took about five or more minutes. And you would always be behind in the dish station just because how how long the dishwasher would take. And then once they upgraded it to that, the efficiency in your time, man, you the dishwasher was like the best job at that point because like you would always be ahead, and you would like people. Man, this one, my one manager got pissed at me because I had nothing to do because I was so fast. And he always got pissed at me because, like, the new dishwasher just helped me out so much. And, like, I would zoom right through all the dishes. <laughs> like, you'd come in, you'd have this massive station of dishes, and it just sucks. And especially if you come in and then the old dishwasher would just, like, take forever. Like, it's funny, me saying five minutes is forever, but, like, you're yeah. talking about the one that you have in your kitchen that takes an hour. Yeah. So, yeah, it's completely different. So maybe... They're a lot bigger, but maybe you can look at getting <laughs> getting one of those where you just like oh, shoving it. <laughs> not gonna lie, dude. If I ever like build a house one day, definitely putting one of those in. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe because like a lot of the times too, maybe maybe the dishwasher industry is owned by the soap industry or the di- dish detergents. Yeah. Industry. Did you have to do dish detergent like, stuff for the no, restaurant? No, no. I think. I don't know if it was water or if it just like I I can't remember. Maybe there was it would just like take like soap from it or something, but I don't mm. think there was any of that stuff. It was like you would give it a quick rinse and then all of a sudden you you just put it in and then it like spins around for a couple minutes and then it's all done. Yeah. I'm assuming mm. there's like some soap mechanism that's built into it. Yeah. I would love one of those, dude, cuz just imagine you cook dinner you got just your whole sinks full of dishes. You throw them in. You mm-hmm. wait two minutes, put them away. Done. Mm-hmm. That's so much better they come than out steaming hot. That's all right. Uh, you put them in instead <laughs> of just putting them in. You turn it on for an hour. Yeah, and then mine doesn't even dry all the way, so they're still wet. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just open it up, let it dry overnight, put it away in the morning. It becomes a full blown process. But if I could do this thing in ten minutes, ugh, game changer. I think I'm gonna move into a restaurant. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Got your whole, whole uh, kitchen. Yeah, that would be nice. So, really all right, nice. Tyler. Anything else? Wrap this episode up. Nope, that's everything. Cool. That's episode 75 of the Midnight Entrepreneur. If you have any questions you'd like us to cover or answer, email us at themidnightentrepreneur at gmail.com. And if you found value in this content or found this entertaining, share this with a friend or post it on your story. And if you really enjoyed the show, we'd love a rating and a review wherever you are listening. Talk to you guys next week for another episode of the Midnight Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur.